Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. starting to feel really cozy in here with these lights and winter and Christmas. It's great. I love it. If you are here um, for the first time this evening, you found us in the middle of a series of talks on Abraham. Um, And Abraham is... His story is found in Genesis, but he is referenced throughout the Bible as a father of faith. He wasn't perfect. He didn't make all the best decisions all the time, but with God, there is grace. And so he is held up as a father of our faith, a man who we can look to and learn from as to what a life of faith looks like. And we've looked over the last few weeks through this lens of Abraham's life at faith and patience, faith and finance, faith and grace. And today we're looking at faith for the future. That is our title this evening, Faith for the Future. And we're going to delve into Genesis 17 um, in just a second. And we're going to read this part of Abraham's story that we find here. But the amazing thing is, just as a little reminder to ourselves, that when we read this in a second, we're not just reading a historical account of a man that we can learn from. We're reading the Bible. And it says in the Bible that the Bible is God's word and it is alive and it is active, which means that when we read it, there is always more wisdom and insight and understanding that we can discover for our lives. And we can always learn more of who God is and who we are in his love. So as we read it, let's just, um, I'll just pray and then we will read. Father, we thank you that we have your Bible. We thank you that you have given us your word so that we can learn what this life lived with you looks like. And would you just help us to understand it this evening? Would you just open our hearts and our minds to just see and what you want us to see this evening, that we might leave here just having learned more of who you are, not just in ways of knowledge, but actually learn in our hearts who you are and what that looks like for our life here in London. Amen. Genesis 17, we're going to read verses 1 to 11 and then verses 15 and 16. It's a little long, but stay with me because it's good. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you, and you will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abraham. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. And then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. 
every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And God also said to Abraham, this is verse 15, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and I will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Apologies for my voice. <laughs> I've finally succumbed to whatever is going around everywhere at the moment. <laughs> I've done well to fend it off for a little while, but it seems to have just come upon me in the last couple of days. <clears throat> Faith for the future rests in I am. Faith for the future rests in I am. In verse one, we read that look, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I am God Almighty. And can you imagine what that must have been like for Abraham? We, it's thought to have been a number of years since he last heard from God about promises. And then one day God appears before him and says, I am God Almighty. Like imagine that moment, what that must have been like. And we're told that Abraham falls face down. And I can only imagine that that would have been in worship and in awe at who he was seeing and what he was hearing. God makes himself known because he wants to be known. He wants us to understand who he is. Because when we as the church are talking about faith for the future, we're not talking about faith in a strategy or faith in a vision or faith in a dream. As good as those things are, they don't hold the essence of faith. Because faith for the future rests in I am in the one who appeared to Abraham and says, I am God Almighty. Friendship is relation, faith, faith for the future is a relationship and a friendship with the living God. And so faith for the future, as we consider it this evening, is in who God is. He is our present and our future. He is where we find our rest. And everything flows from this. And throughout the Bible, God has described who he is, which means that when we hear the name of God or we see the name of God, everything that he is, is enveloped in this name. It is the most 3D, alive, powerful, immeasurable name that we will ever come across, ever know or ever Ever hear of. And when God appeared to Abraham on this occasion, he said, I am God Almighty. But God had described himself in lots of ways throughout the Bible, both to people specifically and also through the way he acted. There was lots of I ams throughout the Bible which when we read them together, give us a full understanding of who God is. And I'm gonna read some of these names of God. And as I do, if you're here this afternoon and you're exploring faith and you're curious about who God is, this is who he has told us that he is. And if we have known God for years, it is good to remind ourselves again of who he has told us that he is and what that means for the way we live our life of faith. And we understand again the vastness and the kindness and the depth and the breadth of who he is. So this is what he has told us throughout the Bible, who he is. God says, I am 
Abba, Father. I am almighty. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I am peace. I am a very present help in trouble. I am the bread of life. I am comforter and counselor. I am creator. I am your deliverer. I am your dwelling place. I am eternal life and your everlasting king. I am faithful. I am the hope of the world. I am your shepherd and your guide. I am your grace. I am your provider. I am light for your way. I am your joy and your friend, your hiding place. I am your refuge, your redeemer. I am wisdom. I am your holy one. That is just some of who God is. Faith for the future rests in I am. Faith for the future finds home in his name. And by that I mean that faith, our faith as we live a life of faith is lived in the context of who God is. Because the truth is, These are uncertain days. The earth is rupturing with violence and greed. There is earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars. And Jesus spoke of these days in the Bible and he likened it to the earth groaning and longing for his return when he is going to come back and renew all things. And I don't know about you, but it feels a little like the earth is groaning and longing at the minute. And Jesus says when he speaks of days a bit like this, he says, take heart. Take heart where there are pains and questions and uncertainties in our own lives. Take heart where we encounter it in this city and this nation. Take heart where we see it in the earth around us. Take heart, make home in me, find rest in who I am, in who the one in the one who has told us who he is. Live from here. Engage with life from here. And if you're wondering what that looks like, what that means to live this life of faith from finding our home with him, please do feel free to ask anyone that you've come with, come and receive prayer at the end if you would like to just pray for understanding of what this looks like. We have Alpha courses happening where you can explore questions of faith of who this God is, what this life of faith looks like. Come along to a connect group, which is again is just another place where you can enjoy finding out and delving into what these questions look like. Don't leave if you think, what does it actually look like to find my home? in God. I grew up in a lovely Baptist church um, on an estate in North Liverpool and it was full of lovely old women, um, most of them who would wear their hats and (laughs) it was great and rub my head when I was little and it was also a very big tall man called Randall who would play the piano And, uh, and I will always remember those days and we used to sing a song there that kept on coming to my mind as I was preparing for today. Um, <clears throat> and I, we're just going to actually listen to the chorus of it in just a second, just as a moment, just to reflect. And maybe if you would like to just ask ourselves, where do I find my home? Where do I find my rest? Where is my heart safe? Where am I living from 
And the words of this song, I'll read them out and then they're gonna come on the screen as the song is being played. They're not a dismissive swipe at life that just is like, oh, everything will be fine. God is, at control, is in control. As we read them out, this is a recognition of choosing where we put our faith in the midst of life. And the words are, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. Let's just take a moment, hear this and just have this moment to reflect and then I'll be back in 58 seconds. is worth the living just because he lives. Does anyone else know that song? I think I heard some people singing along. Amazing. It's a good one to sing over our hearts when we begin to feel unsure and uncertain. I know I can face the future because he lives. Life is worth the living just because he lives. Faith for the future rests in I am. Faith for the future is held in covenant. In the next few verses, as, as God goes on to speak to Abraham, he tell, we hear all about the covenant that God was making with Abraham and his descendants. These words are said often, covenant descendants, covenant descendants. And it says, God says to Abraham, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. I'll make my covenant between you. I'll increase your numbers. You'll be the father of many nations. I'll make you really fruitful. Kings will come from you. I'll establish my covenant. It will be an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants to be your God. I'll give you land. And God says to Abraham, as for you, the covenant that you are to keep, every male among you shall be circumcised. Now, covenant is not a word that we normally use in everyday life, um, but it is quite often used in important ceremonies, and the roots of it are actually really ancient, and it's like a really rich and deep promise that was often enacted with ritual. Often it's really horrible to think of in these days, but in those days it was very normal for it to be called a cutting of a covenant because it involved the ritual of animal sacrifice. And a covenant can be defined as an agreement enacted between two parties in which one or both make promises under oath to perform or refrain from certain actions stipulated in advance. <laughs> 
And in Abraham's time, these kinds of agreements were common and they could be made at an individual, a tribal or a national level. And Sandra L. Richter in her book, The Epic of Eden, just to give us an understanding of what these covenants meant and um, how they were used, she writes, the ideological foundation for the concept of covenant making in the ancient Near East was an idea that we now know as fictive kinship. Israel's patriarchal culture and individual privileges and responsibilities within the clan, the tribe, and the larger society were predetermined by their lineage, gender, and birth order. The patriarch exercised the highest level authority and also bore the highest level of responsibility. So one's level of responsibility towards another member of society and privilege with that individual was determined by blood. The more closely related, the greater the responsibility. <clears throat> the more distantly related, the lesser the responsibility. So how might a person go about establishing a relationship of privilege and responsibility with someone who was non-kin, not blood? Fictive kinship. By means of an oath, both parties agreed to act like family. On an individual, tribal, and national level, if you needed someone to act like family and you were willing to give that person the privileges of family in return, you would invite that person, tribe, or nation into a covenant agreement so when we read of this covenant in Genesis 17, God is communicating his relationship with, an, with Abraham in a way that he was used to, in a way that he was, uh, would understand. God was making it clear to Abraham the depth of his covenant to him. Because in his covenantal agreement with Abraham, the heart of it was that God would be God to him and for him. God will be Abraham's family. He will be his God. And if we have chosen to live life with God and for God, then we are heirs of the promises that God made to Abraham. We are those descendants spoken of in that promise because Abraham is the father of faith. And as people of faith, we are descendants of his and heirs of the promise. So that means that God will be God to us. He will be our family. The blessings of the covenant that God would give Abraham were land and he would establish him as the father of many nations. And he asks of Abraham as a response to this, that Abraham would circumcise all the males at eight days old. Now again, circumcision wasn't uncommon in Abraham's days. It was uncommon to do at such an early age. But this was the sign that Abraham, on behalf of his family, was entering into agreeing with this covenant with God. This was a physical demonstration. Yes, God, we will be your people. We promise to walk faithfully with you. Now, this wasn't the only time in the Bible that God had made a covenant like this. We see five significant covenants in the Old Testament with Adam and Eve, Noah after the flood, Abraham, then Moses, then David. <clears throat> but all of these covenants that we read of in the Old Testament were pointing towards another covenant that was to come. And this covenant took place nearly 2,000 years ago around a dinner table 
when Jesus, with some of his closest friends, took a cup of wine, as we have remembered earlier on this evening during worship, and as is recorded in Matthew 26, verse 28, Jesus said, as he held this cup, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is my blood of the covenant, all those covenants in the Old Testament when God promised his faithfulness, his commitment, his love, his family, he meant it. This is how much he meant it, Jesus was saying. He meant it so much that I have come to earth as a human and <coughs> to help you live life and to show you who God is, how he longs for you, loves you. And Jesus' death and resurrection means that our sign of the covenant is the cross. As we remember all that Jesus has done for us, Abraham had faith for the future because of the covenant promises that God made to him. And Abraham's sign of response was circumcision, a physical reminder that he had promised to enter into this agreement to be God's and to love him. <clears throat> We can have faith for the future because of Jesus who gathered all these Old Testament covenants into one when he said, I came so that you can have life and life in all its fullness and promised that he would never, ever leave us. And you will be pleased to know that we do not need the physical sign of circumcision. But if we choose to enter into this covenant agreement and say, yes, God, I will be yours. Then we, it says in Hebrews, to cut off, throw off everything that would hinder us and entangle us from living this life. And do the best thing that we can do with our lives, which is to love God with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our mind and all of our strength. And faith for the future renames. In verse five, it says, God says to Abraham, Abraham, he actually says it too, no longer will you be called Abraham. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. And in verse 15, he says, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. No longer will you be called, your name will be. No longer are you to call her, her name will be. Words have power. And Dr. Caroline Leaf, who is a cognitive neuroscientist specializing in neuropsychology, lots of big words, and she works specifically with those who have traumatic brain injuries, learning disabilities, and emotional traumas. And she says, the power of words is quite phenomenal. They are electromagnetic forces that call real, cause real and lasting change both in the ears of the listener and you. And words really do cause pain. Researchers have found that hurt feelings from words affect the same area in the brain as a broken bone or physical injury. And experts have also found that loving words can help to heal and rewire this pain. 
And Stephen Covey, who is the author of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, writes, what you tell yourself first thing in the morning is critical. What you tell yourself all the time is critical. Say something positive, literally, out loud. It will be uncomfortable if you've never done this before, but do it. The less I feel like it, he writes, the more I do it. Our words become our reality. Speak positivity and possibility. And studies have shown that you cannot physiologically say one thing and think the opposite at the exact same time. So the more you speak positivity, the less time you give your mind to negativity. <laughs> now, this is not a call to start denying real pain or to pretend that everything is okay when it isn't. But this is recognizing the power that words have in our lives. And we're told in the Bible in Proverbs 18, 21, the power of death and life is held in our tongue. What are we speaking over our future? Is there anything that we might need to rename? What can we look at in our lives and think, I'm going to rename this. Is it, maybe it's we're speaking something over our lives. Maybe it's over our city. Maybe it's over our area where we live. Maybe over our nation. Oh, things will never change. This can never get better. Or God will never be able to do this for me. For me. Maybe he'll do it for other people. But this is just who I am. What are we speaking over our lives. Maybe it could be that we just think, I'm living in a state of guilt, and we can start to speak the Bible into our situations and over our heart, because it says in the Bible, there's no condemnation. God will convict us of specific things that he wants us to learn from and grow away from, but he doesn't design us to live a life of guilt. We can start to speak life and freedom. Where there is fear, we can speak love and power and a sound mind. Where there is shame, we can speak the cross of Jesus and freedom. Is there anything in our lives that we might need to rename? Because when God said to Abraham and Sarah, you're going to call your names, it was before they were who he said they were going to be. And can you imagine what it might have been like at the dinner table? Because Abraham means father of many nations and Sarah means mother of many nations so here are a barren couple they have not had any children between them and they are saying to one another hey father of many nations how was your day I had a great day thanks mother of many nations what should we have for tea what do you want, mother of many nations? I don't know, father of many nations. Can you imagine what this began to do to their hearts? It began to open up their hearts and prepare them for what God had them to live in. Now, this isn't just, I'm going to grab something and say anything. I am a millionaire. Hi, millionaire. <laughs> Great. If only it worked like that, that would be amazing. But this is when those moments when God does speak and what he might give us faith for, actually to begin to speak it, it will begin to prepare our hearts for all that we are to live in. We will sink it, we will grow into all that he has for us. And faith for the future honors small beginnings. God promised Abraham and Sarah that they would be the father of nations and the mother of nations. But God didn't immediately then present them with all these nations or an army of a million men. He promised them, he told them who they would be, and then he gave them one son. It began with one 
son. It starts with one. Every story starts with a small beginning. Everything we can see, every multinational business, every man and woman, every oak tree, every Olympic gold won, every palace built, every book written, every song sung, every river flowing, every masterpiece painted starts with a small beginning. It starts with one, one son, one idea, one friend, one word, one brushstroke. And when Jesus talked about faith, in the, we can read in the New Testament, when he talked about faith in the kingdom of God, he talked about it being like something that is small and it infiltrates and it grows like salt and yeast and mustard seeds. Because God loves to grow our future. When we honor the small beginnings, when we celebrate the small beginnings, we begin to grow in capacity for what is to come next. And if you have a dream to lead worship, start leading worship on your own, lead yourself in your room at home. That is where it will begin. If you have a dream to be the next prime minister of this nation, celebrate where you are leading now, whether that is your own life, whether that is in your student union, wherever it might be. If you have a dream to be a business magnet, is that the right word? Not a magnet, <laughs> maybe a magnet. A business magnet, I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> Learn about business. Start small. See what you can do. My cousin Ian, when he was little, we would be given presents, you know, Christmas presents, and me and my sister would like, you know, really love them and honor them. And before we knew it, our cousin Ian had sold them on for a profit. <laughs> but he now runs his own, uh, he now runs his own thriving DIY business and is doing so well. But he <laughs> honor the small beginnings in our lives. Learn from them. <laughs> And there's one small beginning in the history of my family that I will always honor. My dad grew up being made to go to church. Um, it was the thing that you did. He was sent to um, Sunday school every Sunday. And one Sunday when he was 15, he decided that he'd had enough. And he thought, this is boring. And he walked out halfway through his service and he vowed never to return to church again. And a few years later, he started to hitchhike the hippie trail of the 60s, trying to make his way to India. Because even though he'd walked out of church, he was still curious about life, and he wanted to explore Eastern religions. Now, he never quite made it to India. He, um, he's got some great stories, but he ran out of money in Greece, so sold his blood to get home. <laughs> but, um, so... And then the funny thing is, he tried to get to India a few years later on a motorbike, and it was all in the newspapers, and it was like this really big story, and it was like, um, lad from Liverpool was going to go to India on a motorbike. <laughs> um, and then he broke down in Birmingham. <laughs> so he still hasn't made it yet. <laughs> but that is not the point of the story. <laughs> but this, <laughs> when he did come back, he became a primary school teacher. And one day, two nine-year-old girls came into his class. And in their words, they said, Sir, sir, we went to church last night and we've become Christians. Will you come to church with us? 
And he said, oh, no, that's, you know, that I'm really pleased for you, but church isn't for me. Thanks anyway. And they came in the next day and asked him again, and they came in the next day and asked him again. And one day at the bus stop, as he was waiting for his bus home, they came up and they said, sir, will you come to church with us on Sunday? And he thought to himself, the only way that they are going to stop asking me is if I say yes. So he went with them that Sunday. And my dad said that when he walked into church that Sunday, he discovered what he had been looking for on his travels and he walked in and he said these people have got something that I want and as the service went on he learned that this something that he had been looking and longing for was the love of Jesus and that Sunday he opened his heart to that love and has lived in that and for that ever since. And I will always be grateful to those two nine-year-old girls for their seemingly small invitation at a bus stop in Liverpool because they forever changed my family and the lives of so many other people that my dad has encountered Honor the small beginnings. We have no idea what God has in store. Can you imagine what Abraham would have ever thought <laughs> that we <laughs> would come and be part of his family? Honor and celebrate. When I don't know if you've ever um, rubbed um, two sticks together to make a fire. I asked this in other two services and no one has ever done it. Is anyone here ever? Yes, Johnny Blake. Yes, amazing. And you actually did it. It actually is true and possible. We could all go home and try it. Let's go to Hyde Park <laughs> and make a fire. <laughs> no, let's not. But the amazing thing is when you're rubbing two sticks of wood together, when you begin to see the sparks, that is when you get encouragement to keep going. And sometimes it might seem like there's small beginnings and glimpses of a dream. And they might just still, we think, oh, it didn't go anywhere, it didn't go anywhere. And it might be that we start to give up. Actually, when we start to see the sparks of possibility of what could come next, of what can happen, that is when the fire is about to come. Honor the small beginnings celebrate the small even if that is one spark that falls to the ground keep the dream alive in you and honor and celebrate where you see glimpses of it in your life at the moment faith for the future is mindful of legacy and we have remembered today those who have given their lives in war and those who are continuing to work for peace today around the world and you may or may not have heard of a group called the Monuments Men. Has anyone ever heard? Yeah. These are actually a group during the Second World War. It was actually a group of about 345 men and women from 13 different nations. And among them were Belgium, France, UK, Germany, the US. And many of them were museum directors, curators, art historians, artists, architects, and educators. And together, their specific mandate during World War II was to protect monuments and other cultural treasures from the destruction of the war. And this actually often led to them being on the front lines of war. And in the last year of that, in 1945, they tracked, located, and in the years that followed, they returned more than five million artistic and cultural items stolen by the Nazi army. And among these were Leonardo da Vinci's Mona Lisa, the Ghent altarpiece, da Vinci's Last Supper, Michelangelo's Madonna of Bruges, 
Now, I don't think they protected these works of art because they wanted to simply save a painting or a marble statue. I think they wanted to protect these works because they believed in art. They loved art, they honored art, they understood how art can communicate and challenge and awaken our hearts. They recognized that art is the telling of people's stories. They wanted these five million pieces of art to be present in the world. And when we're mindful of legacy, we don't just act without thinking. We decide what matters to us and we live for that whether it would in the way that we run our business, whether it's in the way that we parent our children, whether it's in the way that we give our finances, how we treat our planet, where we buy our clothes, how we contribute the talents and the gifts that we have, the kind of friends that we are to one another. We will be mindful of legacy, we will decide what we want to leave on this earth for those that are to come and that will be decided by the values that we live by. And it might be that there is a dream in our heart that we will begin and others will finish after us. Abraham died when he was a father to many, but he didn't see in his earthly life the total inheritance of what God actually meant by descendants. Faith for the future is mindful that each one of us are part of a bigger story than we will ever know. So faith for the future rests in I am. It finds our home in God and lives from this place. Faith for the future is held in covenant. Faith for the future can be held in the certain promises of Jesus that he has made to us. Faith in the for the future looks at what we might need to rename in our life and start speaking over us and those around us. Faith for the future honors and celebrates the small beginnings. Faith for the future is mindful of legacy and all that is to come. And I'd like to wrap this up in a verse that is found in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3. And it says, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. These three remain. They are eternal. They remain and I don't know, there's a, there's a picture of a tapestry that's going to come up on the screen. And I know it's a bit twee <laughs> to put a picture of a tapestry up there. So if another picture would help you, then feel free to just put that in your mind instead. But sometimes life might feel like the back of a tapestry where it just looks like a mess of threads and we can't see the beginning from the end. We don't know what on earth is happening. It just looks like a jumbled mess when actually... If we have the threads of faith, hope, and love woven into our lives that we can trust, that God will be making something beautiful out of our story, something meaningful, and something beautiful and meaningful out of our collective story as a church. Faith for the future is lived with hope 
and love. And I wonder if the band would just love to come on back up. Thank you, friends. And we're going to sing a song um, that just declares what we believe. And if you are here this morning and you're curious about faith and about who God is, you can hear these words and just, just you feel free to just think on them and reflect on what this might mean for your life to believe these words. And if we have chosen to enter into this covenant life with God, where he gives us faith for the future, he gives us himself, then we can sing again what we believe and who we are living for. The words of this song, the chorus, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that he will come again. I believe in the name of Jesus. Faith for the future will come from him. Shall we stand and sing it together? Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit ChristChurchLondon.org.